I'm your host, Emmy McDonald, here with my co-host, Alex Martin. Hello. I'm in a new spot. I'm in my bedroom. <laughs> Alex, is, Alex is hiding from the construction workers outside of her home. That makes it sound like you're in a home invasion movie. That's not what I meant. <laughs> no, I'm fine. Uh, just annoyed. Yeah. Sound qual issues. They're, they've taken every loud tool in their vicinity and decided to use it today for the first time in two all at days. Once. Yeah. Yeah, they're sparing no expense with that house. Yeah, the some... house in the alley behind us is being renovated. Um, I can't even I can't imagine how much money that is costing. Gonna be a real bummer when they spend all that money only to find out that that house has ghosts. Mm. 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 That's just a theory, but I feel <laughs> like a lot. I feel like and rats, true. Um, I feel like a lot of those row houses in DC have to have some like pearl clutchy, you know, like For not sure. like proper old timey ghosts, like you know, eighteenth century ghosts, but just like like early nineteen hundreds ghosts, which is <laughs> like the worst kind. One hundred percent. Yeah, just That's, like it's a really. It looks like a really old house, like from the front. Yeah, you know, wives like, of Republican senators and like <laughs> ooh, ooh, I know Dupont Circle too. Anything scarier than that? No, <laughs> no. It's so strange. The whole house always smells like perm solution. <laughs> uh, anyway, yeah. um. All my clothes have been cut into tiny little skirt suits. <laughs> so strange. Um, we, speaking of haunted houses, today we are here to talk about uh, the haunting of Hill House and the lore of Shirley Jackson, uh, resident spooky girl yes. in chief, I would say. Yeah. The spookiest girl of all time. Um, <laughs> so, uh, are we ready to get into it? Do we have any yeah. any any nonsense you want to talk well, first? It's Hall. That'll be Halloween. It's Halloween. Happy for- Halloween. Happy Halloween. Are you? Uh, do, you do you have a costume? I do. Um, I am dressing up. Okay, so about uh, well, around September fifteenth, I went. Oh no, it's so <laughs> late. I haven't decided on my costume yet. I must think of one. Um, and I generally like to match my like if i if i've dyed my hair a color that is not my normal hair color i like to incorporate that into my halloween costume Mm -hmm. last year my hair was red um so i was pennywise the clown uh not it wasn't fire engine red but i was like we're gonna work with this um so i was pennywise the clown uh from it and then the year before I had done, it was like a little bit more of a subtle red. So I was uh, the Claire Danes iteration yes. of Juliet from uh, Romeo and Juliet. Um, two very spiritually different costumes. Do but... you remember in college mm. <laughs> when you dyed your hair blonde and mm-hmm. then we tried to <laughs> alter it somehow? We did. And then it was yeah. gray. And then it was also kind of red. And then it <laughs> turned the kind of red. Yeah. But you were Cher from Clueless. <laughs> I was. See? Yes. Case in point. I was I was Cher from Clueless. Um, so yeah, that's kind of a thing that I like to do. And so then this year I decided, uh, I texted our friend Sid and I said, Sid, will you be the other half to my Lizzie McGuire? Uh, so Liz- Sid is going to be Isabella. 
from the Lizzie McGuire movie and I am going to be Lizzie McGuire. Now, that being said, I pitched this idea to Sid. She was like, yes, I never have any ideas. Like, I'm so in because I was like, I assume Sid and I are going to be doing the same thing for Halloween, like wherever we go. And uh, and then we never talked about it. And so I was like, (laughs) did Sid buy anything like whatever? And then I was like, oh, this costume is going to be kind of a pain in the ass. Like, so I didn't know. And so then like over the weekend, Sid and I were together and I was like, yeah, I don't know what to do for my Halloween costume. And she was like, I thought we were doing something. And I was like, did you buy stuff? And she's like, yeah. And I was like, oh, fuck. She's so like, like, yeah, I have a gown. Yeah. She was like, I bought like, I bought a green jacket. Like I like did this whole thing. And I was like, fuck. So <laughs> then I had to scramble to buy everything for this costume. And I got to make like the weird little, you know, there's like a weird little beaded belt moment yeah. and whatever. But also... Because I don't like I don't like to spend it's like, oh, yeah, it's $30 for the jacket and $30 for the pants, whatever. But it's like I didn't want to spend all this money on this costume with like a bunch of shit that I'm never going to wear again. Like I do like to repurpose stuff for Halloween. Um, So I did take this as an opportunity to spend a little bit more on the jeans. And I bought -hmm. bought a pair of silver jeans instead of buying like dance fabric silver pants. Um, oh, you wouldn't wear this again right exactly plus like I just you put something like that on and you're immediately like oh look at every weird dip and divot and flaw <laughs> yeah. in my body like you know what I mean like they just like yeah. don't they don't feel good um, so I bought a pair of silver jeans so they don't have exactly the like flair of the Lizzie McGuire pants but I was now I own silver jeans so those are coming from ASOS today so I'm pretty excited about that nice. don't know what I'm going to do about my shoe situation but that'll be a an of the moment sort of journey yeah so. and in buffalo it's sometimes it's hard you got to work with right exactly I think it might be, it's gonna be 80 here this weekend that's no um, it is i actually got like really mad <laughs> i like when the weather's too nice in october it yeah me the wrong way. no it kills warm. the vibe yeah, yeah it kills, it the, kills vibe. the vibe but yeah i have no plants i no plans or am i might my uh peter is in be out of out of town um i probably shouldn't say that online um, i'll be alone <laughs> um, but i think uh maybe his friends are doing something but i don't know if it's going to be a, a full costume situation so i might hate to do it but i might repeat my vampire the next day because right. that has some elements that are like if it's not a costume vibe right won't right be like that meme of that girl dressed as the Duke at the wine and cheese party <laughs> although I would do that we were at um a high heel this high heel race that happens in in, in DC every year at this time of year and people dress up participants dress up and someone was the antler queen and I was Amazing. like oh that would have been like with my hair so long at the moment would have been a great can you but I'm like can you imagine I just show up <laughs> I have just antlers and a full <laughs> Like, yeah and then everybody's like alex what are you and you're just like what are you talking about this is just me <laughs> this is just me they this had like a uh so there was the antler queen and then someone was dressed up as misty and they mm-hmm. had like a huge like queen of hearts card that they were like holding as one oh, of their like great props it was great that's yeah, really good great. that's really really I was like good. oh damn should i do that because like that would certainly be <laughs> Uh, look it, it would be something i was like they also might not let me into bars <laughs> if you've got two giant <laughs> weapons on top of your head yeah maybe not yeah maybe not 
Yeah, uh, I, uh, I I was trying to also, our friend Brett does not have a costume yet, and he, I was trying to pitch him on being the Paolo to mine and Sid's Lizzie Oh, and come Isabella. on, Brett. And he was like, I've never seen that movie, like, I don't, and I was like, it doesn't matter, like, it just doesn't matter, like, it's so easy, all you have to do is, like, unbutton your shirt a little bit, and, like, swish your hair over to the side, and we're basic, and get, like, a little you know, Britney Spears headset yeah. and, and we're done. And that's perfect. Yeah. Come on, do it. My other because thought was if I Sid and I can't walk roles. around all night doing the sing to me, Paolo, <laughs> like what are we even here for? <laughs> Why are we even doing this? Costume? Yeah. What's even the point? So. Oh, that'll be fun. Oh man. I love Halloween. Me any, too. any like sh- movies or shows that you watch every year or books Ooh. that you're reading? Um, I, I usually, I do a hocus pocus watch. Um, I know, I know it's cheesy. I know it's corny. I know there's parts of it that don't hold up. Um, but it just, it has such nostalgia for me, um, that I just, I, I just really, really love it. Um, I have started last night at like midnight as my like nighttime wind down. Like usually I try to like, I'll like read before I go to bed or whatever. Um, And last night I was just like really in the mood to watch something. So I started watching Possessor, um, which is like not a chill nighttime wind down movie. Um, And, but the uncut version is on Hulu, which automatically means it's going to be like gorier and grosser. It's got Christopher Abbott, also known as, uh, Marnie's boyfriend from Girls. Mm-hmm. What's his name? Charlie. Charlie. Um, yeah. He he's a great actor. I love him. Um, and he and he's also like in the horror fam now because he's in um the the one with mm, the the not Robert Eggers, the 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 one in the woods. The one yes. with the, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. I saw that. What's it called? Shit. You know what I mean. Um, Nobody else will know what I'm talking about, but whatever. Um, Is it Robert Eggers that made that? No, it's the, it's, it's the guy, it's the guy that made Krisha. It's that guy. Oh, yeah. What's his name? Christopher. Let's do my, I cannot type with these nails on, on my phone. You got to get used to, you got to try to like hit it almost at the base of the thumb joint is really where you got it. That's the sweet (laughs) spot. You got to like kind of. I have really long press on nails. Everyone who isn't, you know, no one can see this. This is an (laughs) audio medium. This is also not that it comes at night. It comes at night. So he was in that. So now he's part of like, I feel like the horror community. But the other lead in this movie is Andrea Riseborough, who had never seen in anything or heard of. And then she's the one that had that like rogue Oscars nomination like two years ago where all the celebrities like were like, this woman's incredible, blah, blah, blah. And now like the Oscars has made new rules that you can't like grassroots an Oscar nom. Um (laughs) But I just thought that was kind of interesting. But the concept of Possessor is basically that there's this like this company does something where they can input like the consciousness of these assassins um, into like into other bodies and like, you know, take people out. Right. Like they're like hitmen, Mm. but they like they do it so that they have this cover of like being somebody else. 
Um, and the Andrea Riseborough character pretty much from jump is sort of like having this, uh, you know, you can tell she's starting to like have a little bit of a mental break where she's like not able to like fully separate her life from the lives she's infiltrating. Um, so I don't know if it's like strictly, but it's definitely got some like body horror elements to it. I don't know if I'd strictly speaking say it's a horror movie, but anyway, I'm really intrigued and I'm looking forward to watching it. Um, the evolution of horror episode on it mm. is a double feature with Possessor um, and St. Maud, which I just watched oh, I just, recently yeah. um, and is is wild, um, is a pretty wild fucking movie. Um, a real thinker, I would say. Yeah, I'm intrigued by that one. I always, yeah. uh, I always watch all the slash. Like I'll do, like the first Halloween, mm-hmm. Nightmare on Elm Street, Friday the Thirteenth, Scream. I'll do the like those four. Yeah, try to sprinkle in some new ones that I haven't seen. But yeah, I can't watch Halloween. I'm not gonna be able to watch that this weekend. <laughs> I'll be horrified. <laughs> There, there are truly some that it's like, I mean, you just, you can't watch them when you're alone. Like I, I wanted to watch one. I was setting up for our, our friend's bachelorette party over the weekend at my family's cabin in the woods. And I wanted to watch a horror movie. Cause I was like, Oh, like, no, like nobody ever wants to watch horror movies with me. So it's like watching horror movies is like my alone time. Like I'm going to go sit by myself. And then, so I was like setting up for this party and I wanted to watch a scary movie. And I was like, I am in my cabin in the woods where like if I like if I had to flee that house I have no cell service and so it's like and it's so pitch black outside and like of course the floodlights on the outside of the house aren't working right now so it's like (laughs) I mean like and no just like no one could hear you scream kind of thing where I'm like I I was like I can't like I couldn't even do Haunting of Hill House I couldn't do anything I was like I so I watched Love is Blind because I was like I need something that is like so the opposite like I can't watch this while I'm alone here yeah that's a house that like has enough creepy shit that like at least once I've been in that house alone and I've barricaded the bedroom door uh with a kitchen chair and slept with a knife next to me so (laughs) so super chill we're chill yeah no, I'm I do. so laid back. Uh, I guess to lead us into our topic of conversation, I have watched The Haunting of Hill House Netflix adaptation probably three or four times. Yeah. And I might that might be what I watched this weekend just because I've yeah. Yeah. already seen it so much, yeah. um, so many it's times. It's so good. It's so good. And we it's do, so I think we are going to do an episode kind of um, diving into the Flanagan verse and the sort of, you know, that brand of horror and and all of that kind of stuff so we won't talk about it too too much um but like i think the haunting of hill house was the first horror series that i'd really seen that like i mean you know american horror story like season one is a great series of television Mm -hmm. um and then there's been some that are like good since then but like a lot of those kind of miss the mark for me Um, And they don't always necessarily feel like horror. You know what I mean? They feel more, they've got horror elements, but they're so like, a lot of them are, I don't know, they're they're scary, but they're more like torture-y or something. Like it's the Saw brand of horror as opposed to like true, like scared in your bones. Yeah, they're like, it it always feels to me like 
I I do like the first season and it has some of yeah what we're talking about, but not as much. But I always feel like they You're go too far. Oh my god, like, <laughs> they go too far. It's like a little feels like they're doing it to shock you. It's That's a little what it too is. grotesque. I don't like like we said like the torture. Like I don't like the saw. Yeah, like that brand of of horror. So a lot of the I feel like American Horror Story seasons lose me at about yeah. like episode five or six. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, all right, that was... Yeah, and they jumped the shark a lot, too. It's like, I mean, we've talked about the Asylum um, series where it's like the bones of it, like at the beginning, you're like, okay, creepy nuns in an asylum with genuinely like mentally unwell people. Creepy. So creepy. By the end of that season, we've got... There's Nazis, there's aliens, there's like zombie experimentation, there's possessions, like there's too much going on. And it's, that's, that's always where like Ryan Murphy loses me is I'm just like, you've, you've overdone it. You've overdone it. It's like that, like you should take one thing off before you leave. Exactly. Yes. It's the Coco Chanel rule. (laughs) You should do in this instance, do less. Yeah, Ryan, <laughs> lose the earrings. Like it's always just like a little too much. You're like, but yeah, no, Haunting of Hill House is so good, and you know, the Haunting of Hill House, the Netflix adaptation, and again, we'll talk more about this. While it's like based on Shirley, you know, there's elements that are from Shirley Jackson's. It is very different. Yeah, but it has the bones of that story to like anchor it, and right. I think it keeps it keeps it in a good a good place yeah <laughs> like it it doesn't go too well and it's very rails. much like thematically like it's i mean it's it's ghosts it's about ghosts yeah. you know what i mean like i i feel like i you lose me in horror when there's like because the thing that you hear people talk about right like when you're writing like uh anything that takes place outside of like the strictly natural world right whether it's supernatural whether it's aliens whether it's whatever it's like you have to have grounding rules. There has to be rules for, you know, if it's magic, like the way that this magic works and instances when it doesn't. You can't just like willy nilly like, yeah. oh, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Like it has to be because that's when stuff starts to not feel earned um, and it stops making sense. And so it's like I feel like the Ryan Murphy universe never has rules. Yeah. So it's like not only do ghosts exist, but so do aliens and so do mad scientists. And so do like we're never like grounded in a specific place where it's like in the haunting of Hill House or anything that's kind of successful in that genre. It's like when you're dealing with one thing and you understand how the thing exists, like, you know, it it just it makes it a lot it makes a lot more sense. It makes it easier sure. to accept the phenomenon when you're like, okay, so like these ghosts can show up. Anyway, that that was the first time that I watched a horror series that really felt like all the things that I love about a horror movie, like all the things I love yeah. about the genre spread out over, you know, eight hours or 10 hours, 10 hours, I guess it's a 10, 10 season, 10 episode season, um, but spread out over that long. And like, a really effective, you know, way of, of telling that story, um, which I was really excited about because it's like, you know, you just, we don't, we don't get as much of that. Like up until that point, we hadn't really had like horror TV, you know, which was fun. 
Sorry. I thought I had another thought. <laughs> it's gone. <laughs> um, so that being said, should we talk about, do we want to talk, start with the haunting of Hill House? Do we want to start with the lottery? Maybe let's start with the lottery because the lottery was her Shirley Jackson's first published short story. It was published in the New Yorker. Correct. It was like 1948. Yeah. <laughs> Which is crazy. Um, and it was not well received <laughs> yeah. by the general public. No. People were uh, absolutely scandalized by this thing. And I mean, I think, obviously, the fact that it came out in 1948, yeah. like, should help to contextualize that a little bit. Um, but we were just, you know, when we were doing our, our research beforehand, like, at one point, Shirley Jackson wrote something years later about kind of the experience of the lottery being published and and everything else. Um, and she said... You know, she got about 300 letters and maybe 13 of them were kind. I mean, people were it it was people were bewildered. Uh, They were just completely taken aback by it uh, or they were scandalized or they just couldn't make any sense of it. Um, And they were just like, why is this even in here? Like, what is the point of this? She was accused of being a communist. She was accused of like, you know, trying to like. just you know being like perverted and like all all sorts of stuff so it had this really and it was to that point and I don't know if this is also true since then um but I would imagine if it's not the most it's near the top um but to that point it was the most letters that the New Yorker had ever received in reaction to a piece of fiction people were baffled by this thing um if you haven't read it, please stop listening now and yeah. go read it. You can still find it. It's on the New Yorker. It's like, you know, it's archived there. Go read it before you listen to another word of this because <laughs> it's it's so worth it to have the genuine reaction of like reading this piece yeah. old for the first time. Please go read it. It's not that long. Go, go no. do it. It's like an 18 minute read because you can look, listen to it. Oh, yeah. Oh, cool. Something like 18 minutes. Um, But it's just to think about that reaction in this story and then to think of just how big like something like The Hunger Games was, which is in some way playing on this idea of like a lottery system, whatever you be chosen, that like that was something that was like written and made for young adults. Right, yeah. In 20, whatever, 2012, probably. Yeah, 50 years later, we were like, not only is this palatable, but it's palatable for preteens. Right. And just to think, I don't know, it's just, it's wild. And But it's still, it is still so affecting. And I think, well, first, that, that, that being your first thing you published is, like, yeah. all right, surely. <laughs> but it's so good at, what I think she is so good at, and why I've really always loved her work is like there's just this feeling of dread mm-hmm. that runs throughout everything and like tension. And she leaves a lot of things unknown or unanswered. And it's like right. the thought of what it could be is scary enough. It's almost worse. It's, yeah. it's almost worse. Yeah. Um, and she's just she's so good at that. And yeah. it's in it's in all of her. I think it's, it's in all of her work that I've read. Yeah. No, it's kind of like, I mean, and this is like a, you know, closer to being a contemporary example, but it's like, it's whether or not you're, like, if Shirley Jackson work works for you, 
I think it depends on if you're the kind of person that is like scared watching the Blair Witch. Like when you watch the Blair Witch, what is so scary is the possibility of it and the things the things that your mind does to you to tell you yeah. like this could be there. And you know, so maybe it depends on your like general mental wellness. And, like, yeah, you yeah. know. So Alex and I love it. I and have it a big really fear well of the unknown. <laughs> Anything that relies on our own imaginations terrifies Alex and I. It's so scary. Yeah. Like, do you know what's going on up here? Um, no, but it, it it is. It's that thing of you know the the possibility, as you say, is like you know is so much scarier. And the thing that. One of the things that I noticed like on this reread of the lottery is that she doesn't hit you with the dread right at the top. Like you mm-hmm. start reading it and you're kind of like like you're you're disarmed almost by the how cavalier and how casual all these people are, right? Because it's like it's just another day. It's just a regular you know, it's a thing they have to do every year or however often she yeah. doesn't, you know, she doesn't even tell you that. Like you never find out how often the lottery happens. And it um, seems like kids are playing like there's like a. Yeah. Like it's very just like everybody's in the town center for this thing we've all got to do. And yeah. Oh, my God. I almost, for, you know, the Tess Hutchinson is like, I almost forgot. Like I I had to run over here. It's crazy. You know, like it's got like PTA meeting vibes. Like it's yeah. very like laid back and so you're like okay like what are we watching happen here like you know what is this and then it's then you start to like get into the dread as people start picking their numbers and as the process starts going and then you're like okay like people are scared like what's going on here um and then when you you hit the twist at the end it's i mean it's so I think that that thing at the beginning of how like you know disarmingly laid back everybody is yeah. is it almost makes the ending more sinister because you're like that's what people were being chill about people were right. being this laid back about the fact that they're about to stone, stone one of their neighbors to death like that's <sighs> crazy and like and there's something about it too in like in the way that it sort of like exists out of time. You know what I mean? Like you yeah. you get the feeling that, you know, because she tells you like this town has been around forever. There's this old man who was like who's been here since the town was founded. Like they make references to the lottery having been something that goes on, you know, has been going on for years there's really no reference to like technology or anything that would yeah. like root you in a certain time period. Um, and then they kill this woman in this old timey way, a brutal yeah. and horrible and like distinctly old timey way. And so you're just like, like, you don't know, is this supposed to be the future? Is this supposed to be the past? Is this, is this, you know, a memory or is this an inevitability? Right. Mm-hmm. Like, is, is she, telling us that this is something we're headed toward like there's so much to play with in it um in addition to the fact that it is so it is shocking like it is shocking i i get why people were shocked yeah Yeah. especially then but there's like a timelessness you know some of it is dated just by the fact that it's old it's old right right the language shifts all of that stuff but like there is a timelessness to the stories and i think that's what makes them so ripe for like adaptation where we've seen them yeah be adapted outright 
but also like we can talk about this more later with hill house but like it is just kind of the like the like almost like a prototype right you say thank you a blueprint yeah. <laughs> i was like yeah. what word am i trying to say like the blueprint for almost every haunted house story you watch right right you've watched going forward there's a really good quote from stephen king in my copy of hill house it's basically like this and the turning of the screw are like the best ghost stories that have ever been written and like kind of alluding to like probably ever will be right. written right um, but which is that's what Bly Manor is based off of. Yes, Bly yes, Manor. Mostly. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, Bly Manor is is based on uh, Henry James, The Turn of the Screw, which is older, you know, by yeah. by quite a bit. Um, but yeah, I mean, it is funny too because it's like if you watch, like the one night my dad and I were sitting, and there was some, I think it was a horror movie on like TCM or something, and my dad was like, "Oh my god!" Like I remember seeing this movie like when he was a kid my dad was born in 1958 so like you know this movie came out in like the mid 60s whatever and there it's it opens with this this like disclaimer not not this movie is not the haunting but it was a movie from the like mid 60s or late 60s whatever and it opens with a disclaimer that's like things in this film will be shocking and you know disconcerting and when they come on screen like before it comes on screen we're gonna give you a warning the screen will flash like this like it will strobe and you'll hear this sound and it's this like like and they're like we're gonna give you a warning in case you want to look away and then like and then you watch this movie and it is the most, it, it's the core, and I wish I could remember the name of it. I'll put it in the show notes. If I remember, I'll ask my dad. Um, and it might have come out earlier and been something that he like then watched when he was a kid, and it, but it was actually from the 50s or whatever. But it's the corniest fucking movie. Like this guy is, he's being arrested. And so he's like, he's in handcuffs and he ends up in this, he ends up being at one point handcuffed to the railing on a train, like because mm -hmm. the guy that's watching him or whatever has to go, you know, investigate something. And this guy realizes like it's his opportunity to get away. And so he decides that he's going to uh, he, he like he's going to jump off this train over a bridge. Right. And so he like yanks the railing with him. And then goes into the water and then he's sinking because he's handcuffed to an iron railing. And so he decides that he's going to hack off his hand in the water mm -hmm. and he's doing it like it, you, you get the like, like whatever. And then he does it. And it's like, it's just a guy hitting himself with a prop knife. Like nothing happens. You don't see any blood or gut. And then so like, and the screen turns red and that's your indication that like, oh no, there's blood. And that had to like something that cheesy and corny people had to get a warning for and like the opportunity to look away. <laughs> so that tells you like why something like the lottery would have been. I mean, because it it and I'd say that not to undermine the story, because I do like we said, like, I do still think the way that it is written, it's a shocking twist, right? Like you don't see it coming. It's just the fact that, like, people were so scandalized yes. by it, you know? Like, I think now 
if the lottery came out, people would be talking about it of like, oh my God, like what a master of suspense. This is so, you know, whatever, for all the reasons we still talk about the lottery. Um, And less so for the fact that it's like, oh my God, can you believe? Like, (laughs) but people were like, people were not used to seeing shit like that. They were just blown away by it it was like we don't we don't talk about blood and guts we don't talk about violence we don't you know and it's also you know touching on just a blind following of tradition Mm -hmm. or what we've always done and I can imagine that at that time that element of it probably wasn't also like super well received right Um, right and, you know, I think obviously people were more outraged by the end of it. But I think there's a lot of elements of the story that I can imagine at that time were really challenging to the right. way people like were thinking and, and living. Right. And watching. Yeah. yeah. Um, no, I think that's I think that's completely. So right. uh, that movie. Which you're is how you get was called no- a communist. That movie you're watching was nothing like Gerald's Game. A complete opposite of Gerald's Game. Ugh. <laughs> We'll talk about Gerald's game when we talk about the Flanagan verse, but holy fucking shit. That um, really scared me. I kind of forget about that. And every, and every But every time I pass it by on Netflix, I'm like... You have like a visceral body yeah. reaction? Yeah. 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 That movie is like not only scary, it's scary, but it's also grotesque. Like... But yeah. Anyways, that would have just so many flashing sirens. Yeah. So many. So many. Well, and it's just like... You know, if you think about it, right, like this is one of my like, you know, preferred movie fun facts. But like the first time that squibs were used on screen, as in the exploding blood packs that we see, um, was the Warren Beatty Faye Dunaway. I think it was 1968, maybe Bonnie and Clyde. Um, So it was late. Like when people were getting shot in movies before that. It was just, it was like cap that. gun, like, you got shot, yeah, and then it was like, oh, like, and then you saw blood, but it was like, there was no, you know, it was just a very, it was a very obscured version of, like, violence and all of this. So anyway, um, not shocking that, you know, that the lottery was so scandalizing to people, um, but also I think does sort of speak to the haunting uh the film adaptation from 1963 um and how it does you know the why it works as an adaptation insofar as um it it is about exactly what you're talking about which is about what you don't see and it's about you know it's a lot less of it is about i mean it is it's that it's you're the whole time like it's hard for a movie from the 60s in black and white to be a genuinely scary movie. Um, you know, like I remember when I was a kid, I'm going to end up talking a lot about uh, a lot about my my dad showing me horror movies in this episode <laughs> because, you know, that was part of my my youth and my young adulthood. But um, <clears throat> like my dad saying that the when he saw The Exorcist, it was the scariest thing he had ever seen. Mm. Like he was terrified. And, like, we watched The Exorcist growing up and we're like, look at this silly nonsense, you know? Like, it's like, it hits differently when you grow up with CGI and, you know, all of this different stuff. And and the unreality of it, the uncanny valley sort of can take you out of it. Um, But at the time, that was very scary. So I think 
in some ways, it's really interesting to watch then, like a movie from the 60s that's in black and white, that is still scary in part because like it doesn't try to show you that stuff. You know, it doesn't try to show you uh, the horrifying thing, the ghosts, the whatever. And and the book, The Haunting of Hill House, you know, doesn't have a lot of that stuff. Like it's not like you're seeing an embodied version of a ghost. You're seeing the after effects of like something has happened here, yeah. you know. Um, but it's cool to watch The Haunting of Hill House or The Haunting um, rather. And, and you know, still like there – I. I watched that movie and I there was a moment near the end where I did I screamed like some there's a jump scare where I screamed so um yeah, it still works for me and a lot of you know my opinion it, it's easier to shock right and to like have those jump scares and you know that like grotesque some of the stuff we see now like that is easier in some ways to do and like have scare people right. than to be able to really like artfully craft this tension yeah. And like this push and pull of like, what are we going to give the audience or the reader and what aren't we? Right. Like that takes a lot of craft. And I think some of the really good horror movies, like I really love the Babadook, I think do that as well. Right. They like, know when to pull back. Yeah. And I guess that's my point. But I think, yeah, like you see that so much in The Haunting of Hill House. And I think in the adaptations of the movie too, right? Working from from the book. But. Right. And um, yeah, and I don't think either of us can speak to the 1999 remake, no. but it's it's it, the cover screams 1999. Yeah, it's Owen Wilson <laughs> and Catherine Zeta-Jones like, but it, it at that point, like that's billed as a remake of the 1963 yeah. movie. So it's like that's kind of interesting the way that like, you know, like you said, like the, the book is sort of the blueprint and then like it turns into you know, people are remaking the movie or there's a lot of work that like, you know, now references like, you know, horror filmmakers and stuff reference the film, The Haunting, the 1963 yeah. film and not necessarily the book, which is like kind of interesting the way it sort of like takes on a life of its own, especially when you think about the fact that like the whole kind of underpinning of The Haunting of Hill House is like this idea that that the house is alive in some way, that it yes. has a life of its own, that it like, you know, so the whole thing of some houses are born evil, like that whole, you know, and that monologue got transcribed into the haunting of Hill house, the the TV series. Um, but like the idea that like it, it does kind of take on a life of its own, you know, and then speaking of Stephen King, like he picks it up, mm -hmm. Alex and I just watched the, um, the series Rose Red, which is oh, like yeah. a 1990s, you know, sort of, uh, it it was a, a like limited series before that was really happening, yeah. which is kind of interesting. It's like three movie length episodes um, with Marnie from Halloween Town. Um, yeah. And but it is it's the same general concept of like you've got a group of, you know, psychics and sensitives going to this house to try and figure out if it's, you know, if it's really haunted and what's going on and this idea that the house has a life of its own. Um, so it's very much like the, the, you know, center of it is very much the same as the haunting of Hill house. Yes. Um, so it was kind of Stephen King's play on that, which is interesting. Um, it, that one's a fun watch. Uh, I thought, I mean, we, we enjoyed yeah. it. 
it's very dated. Yeah, there's in some terms stuff of that, yeah, yeah, that hasn't aged super yeah. well. Um, um, but fun, you know, it's a fun watch. Yeah, and I mean, like, <laughs> honestly, some genuine scares. Alex fell asleep yeah. while we were watching it the one night, and I was like, I have to go to bed because I can't watch <laughs> this by myself. I'm too scared. Like. Um, I was doing I my, think, the classic move of me talking to Alex and then realizing that she's I'm just asleep. asleep. <laughs> that that right there, that might be the most old married couple thing that we do. Is like I'm having a conversation with you, and then I look over and you're just dead asleep. <laughs> I'll go to bed. Um, she's like, oh no, she's talking again. <laughs> but I think. I think that kind of leads us nicely into something that I wanted to talk about, about the haunting of Hill House, mm. is that the house itself is a character. And right. I know, I'm, I'm sure I've mentioned it. I love gothic fiction. I like when, you know, the setting somehow like takes on a life of its own. Yeah. Um, and so I love that element of this and that it's like yeah. kind of a representation maybe of like the human mind, but it like lives and breathes and oh, what is that but when he's like it stands alone i can just i can just hear yeah. it from the show hill, hill house stands alone and mm-hmm. will for you know yeah I, I can't even remember um the, the okay i i'm i guess i must say at this point the monologue that i do have memorized from the haunting of hill house <laughs> is the monologue from and i i can't actually remember if it's in the i think it is in the book um and it's sort of in the series as like an obscure like there's parts of it um but it's also in the movie the the original movie the haunting because my dad used to do this and alex has heard my dad do it (laughs) um my dad like all the time would just uh, this is a i mean my dad my dad is one of those people that will just do a whole like my dad will do a whole thing from like life of brian or you know the monty python holy grail like he'll like he'll and he'll do both parts he'll do a dialogue with himself like (laughs) nobody has to respond he's just he's in his own world doing his own thing um but he would do mrs dudley's monologue from the haunting um which is (laughs) nobody lives any nearer than town so there's no one here to hear you when you scream in the night in the dark no one's there or something like that. It was like, it was a whole, and my dad would just do it. And then he would like build on it and do the whole thing. But it was like, no one will hear you scream in the night, in the dark. It's like, and, and then you watch it and like it holds, and it's pretty accurate. Like that's pretty much exactly what it's like. Yeah, there are some good, I think this was something that came up when I was doing some research for this episode that like, while it's like a gothic horror novel mm. and, it, and is, you know, now considered a classic the language is very like conversational it's not mm. like super flowery or or kind of like what we come to have thought of as like gothic writing like it's right. pretty straightforward um and that yeah, like it it's makes not it the same readable. as having to sit and read henry james no at all and if you're still listening and you haven't read this and you're don't care about spoilers like if if part of why you haven't read it is because it's old yeah and you don't think it's gonna it's gonna be like harder to read or it's not gonna be scary that is not true yeah, it is it's... still unsettling and it is not like a, a i would say like if you're looking to read a classic this would be a good a good yeah. place it's very much a contemporary piece of fiction and it's not yeah 
I mean, it's like it is gothic, but it is it again like probably a modern. I guess we classic. haven't talked about the setup, but like I I've referenced it talking. <laughs> we, about I guess we haven't talked about any plot of like any of these. Two. But like basically, it's that you know this Eleanor, um, who obviously inspires the character of Nell in the you know in the modern um, version, um, is brought with a group of other sensitives to hill house by doctor i think his name's dr montague Montague, maybe yeah um to basically try and uncover if if hill house you know like hill house has had some psychic phenomenon some you know people think they've seen ghosts whatever and so the idea is like they're gonna stay over a long weekend or whatever and monitor everything that's happening and then as things start to happen they start to they kind of center around eleanor and it is this tension of, you know, is this stuff really happening? Or because we get the sense that Eleanor is a bit unwell, right? Like she's yeah. not in a great place. Um, she really latches on to this other character of Theodora, um, who is, you know, kind of like cool and aloof and whatever. Um, obviously inspires Theo Crane, um, one of, I mean, just like an all time character, Theo Crane in the modern one. So essentially, we're working with the idea that like all of this stuff seems to center around Eleanor and then there's sort of accusations of whether Eleanor is doing this stuff, whether she's making it up, whether she wants attention or, you know, if this is something that's truly happening to her. Yes. And in a, and in like in a sense, in the end, like she becomes the thing that is haunting Hill House. Mm-hmm. Um which is it like, you know, that again from the Netflix adaptation, like that is a thread that runs through that. I feel like that's almost the closest. Like Nell, some right. of the like parallels between Eleanor in the book and Nell in the show, like that's a pretty strong thread between that like or that like ties the two of these things together. Yeah. Um because the book really centers mostly around Eleanor. Um, yeah. yeah. And she it's a it's another like I perfect choice because she is an unreliable narrator. Mm-hmm. So that's also kind of playing into like what is known and unknown. Like what it, you know, like is she really like kind of like losing her marbles <laughs> or like is this haunting really real? Like did she kill her mom? Like what what's going on? Like it it help it aids in like the 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 tension and the and the like scariness of this book. I think yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, because we we never really know if if we can trust her. Um, and then, I mean, so briefly, I also wanted to talk about there. There is a Shirley Jackson work that is also, I think, pretty. Um, it's definitely pretty famous, but it's less in the horror genre, um, but still works with that thread of tension, um, which is "We Have Always Lived in the Castle." Great um, title. Yeah great title um but again like you know two two sisters that live in this sort of like spooky gothic castle-like home on the edge of town um and you know they have this like they're they're basically like publicly shamed and ostracized by the town um and the whole like theme of the story is basically whether or not one and or both of them were involved in this mass murder um of you know their parents and 
was there a sibling? No, I guess just their parents. No, but this parents. attempted murder of the, I think their uncle and then the murder of their parents and the whole thing. Um, and again, unreliable narrators and, and it ends up, you know, the book kind of actually functions as a, a metaphor or an allegory for, for Shirley Jackson and her life. Um, because throughout her life, she was sort of a, um, I mean, she basically, she was a mother. She had, I think, four or five kids. Um, she was a wife and mother and like wife of a professor, um, which yes. at that time was kind of a very specific thing. Like you were meant to, you know, be able to like host the other, you know, professors from the department and like be a homemaker and do all this kind of stuff. And, um, you know, and is also kind of a a solitary life i think in a specific way especially if you don't really fit that mold um but then on the other hand she was this spooky creepy horror writer and you know wrote all these short stories and and everything else um and got all this hate mail and you know definitely didn't fit that mold and so didn't really fit in with the like professors wives and whatever so ended up leaving leading this very solitary ostracized life mm-hmm. um and so we have always lived in the castle these two sisters are kind of you know they're the different parts of her they're the part of her yes. that is is presentable um and you know trying her best to be a homemaker and being a mother and doing all of these things and then the other part of her that is just like uh a real creepy ghoulish girl um and and the battle, you know, the struggle yeah. between those two. Um, um, no, it's definitely a book that, like, I wanted to, ex- you know, I think when you think <clears throat> Shirley Jackson, or when I did, I thought, you know, like you think kind of like the horror genre. Right. And this, we have always lived in the castles, definitely less scary and more, like, again, like you said, working on, like, a larger, like, metaphor, representation, and, and really is... Like, it's just the whole book. You're like, you're just kind of like, you're just like, something is like, there's something about the situation and the way these characters are playing off of each other. And the one, the, the, uh, like spooky sister, like the way that she's operating where you're like, I'm uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. Like, this is an uncomfortable setting. It's an uncomfortable, like dynamic among the sisters and like the uncle who I think is still in the house and like a cousin or someone comes. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. And they do like, it's interesting because as much as like Hill house feels contemporary and the lottery sort of exists out of outside of time. um, I feel like we have always lived in the castle. It like exists in that spot where you're just sort of like, when are these girls from like there's, (laughs) you know what I mean? Like there's, there are, things about their affectations that are sort of like are they ghosts are they mm-hmm. like you're never really sure you're like are these victorian girls are they just yeah, very kind of like, grim, like modern girls like move what? in a like i know you can't see but like when i visualize them they like almost like float like they just yeah. have like a yeah yeah <laughs> there's something very like ethereal about them something very you know and the this the way they speak and everything else, you're just sort of like you know it. Some of the dialogue sounds like it could be inserted into something like The Awakening, you know, like yeah. it's like, are we in the 19th century? Like, what's going on here? So, um, it is. It's just it's a really it's a really cool book, and it does still like 
if you're not strictly into horror, but you'd like something that does still kind of have that setting and still has that tension to it, because it is, like you say, like it's a very tense book um, and it still has like a cool twist and and everything else. Um, I think that's a good one for, you know, kind of people that want to be Shirley Jackson fans, but don't love to be scared. I, and I would love, there have been adaptations of We've Always Been in the Castle. There's one that's relatively ish new yeah i think Um, like 2019 maybe yeah but i would love that at a show Mm -hmm. um i don't know there there hasn't been like an adaptation that's really like i've been like oh i have to watch that right but i i would love one yeah for sure um there was also and neither one of us have seen this movie um so we can't really speak to the movie but in 2020 there was a drama thriller that came out that definitely seems to have some like horror elements to it um but it's it's called Shirley um and it's not based in truth other than being I think kind of inspired by the the lore and the mythology of Shirley Jackson um but the idea is basically that Shirley Jackson um and I Maybe they don't call her Shirley Jackson in the movie. No, they do. They do. They call her Shirley Jackson. Um, That they take in a young couple um, and that it inspires her next horror novel. It's funny. The two like top Google searches when you search the movie are what is the point of Shirley the movie? And (laughs) what the heck is the movie Shirley about? Which is... (laughs) Not just what, but what the heck? I started watching it and I was like, no, nah, I was like, ah, you've lost me. Yeah. I just kind of wanted to to reference that one, I, I think, because it's interesting that she as an author and a, you know, like I said, like a, you know, the mythological status yeah. of Shirley Jackson, uh, the presence uh, is just kind of interesting. Yes. The show definitely, like, from what I had watched, like, uh, she's not super fun to be around. Um, yeah, and I, I mean, I don't, I don't think she necessarily was in real no. life. I think she was pretty ornery. Um, I don't know if she was just accused of being a witch or if she actually practiced witchcraft. But like, more power to your girlfriend. Love that for you. Um, but. She also, like, I mean, she died really young because she essentially smoked and drank herself to death. I was going to say, it was a well person. Yeah. Um, and, and, like, in the show or, like, in this, like, movie in the beginning, like, they definitely, like, you know, all of those attributes of her character, whether true or not true, are definitely what is being kind of, right. like, played up. Like, she's definitely a drinker, a smoker. Yeah. She I think is, she was only, like, 47 when she died. Like, she was young. Um, yeah. So wasn't no, never mind. I was like, wasn't Daphne Demuria young too? But I actually think she lived like into well into her eighties. <laughs> I think we um, thought that she was young, and then we had to fact check ourselves. Yeah, last which uh, probably is like not. Yeah, but kind of a, dying, but yeah. I mean, they're they're interesting authors to <clears throat> compare in that way. I think because they were you know women writers writing these kind of like outlandish. Um, 
things at a time where, you know, it wasn't necessarily okay for women to do that. But, you know, one of the things that I, I mean, like I said, like horror, you know, and I, I kind of, I think we talked about it a little bit on the, um, the episode that's going on the niche reads feed today. Also Easter egg huh, plug, um, on uh, don't fear the reaper, but like horror is a really interesting genre for women, I think, because it can be a safer space to explore some of the things that maybe, you know, in a like traditional realistic context, you know, you're told nobody wants to read about this or it's too sad or it's too much or it's too, you know, it's too big. It's too whatever. Um, And horror does like, like that Kate Siegel quote, like it allows everything to sort of be heightened, you know, it allows you to, to do more and to take on the big stuff and to, you know, it, it feels okay that like the stakes are where they are. Um, And so it can be a place to explore these sort of um, some of these darker themes that I think women were traditionally sort of like, you know, shied away from or were told they had to shy away from. Yeah. And I mean, well, at that, on that, um, any uh, rapid fire question, uh, we didn't prep (laughs) this at all, but any like female driven horror that you're a huge fan of outside of, you know, I mean, it can be books, also films, also whatever, whatever floats your boat, really. That's a good question. I do love The Babadook. Love it. directed by... Um, a female director and that director actually in cabinet of curiosities i believe the last episode oh yeah yeah, directed by the same um same woman so that's always been a favorite of mine there is a um this also goes back to our, our our other episode there is a a slasher that is called slumber party massacre and it was they talk about it in the and i can link this episode of the podcast evolution of horror but they talk about it a few times but it was written by a woman maybe by two that was intended to be kind of like a parody of Mm. like the way in which women in that genre like was intended to be kind of commentary on that Mm. but i believe they either brought in a male writer or male director like somehow that dynamic changed and I think it's a really interesting you know and so therefore there are elements of the movie that do fall to the tropes of the slasher but I think it's an interesting look at like women trying to work against that in a time when they you know just like kind of work within the constraints of what was given to them by the studio and still try to make this movie that they wanted to make right Um, so it's a and it's like it's one of the slashers that's so it's so outrageous and like all of the things are so obvious like he's like a big drill is like the like weapon of choice it's just it's you know in a lot of ways you watch it you're like it's not scary <laughs> and right. some of them are but it's a it's a fun one like if you're looking for something to watch like this weekend or on halloween i recommend yeah um there is speaking of um Guillermo del Toro's Cabinet of Curiosity. So for anybody that doesn't know, it's kind of a, it's an anthology series. So each one is uh, written and directed by a, you know, a different team. Um, And 
Guillermo del Toro is a co-writer on, I think some of them, not necessarily all of them. Um, and then, you know, he has his, I think one episode that he directs. Um, but there's a, another episode of cabinet of curiosities, which I am constantly making people watch, um, which was written and directed by a female team. So the writers are Haley Z Boston, Emily Carroll and Guillermo del Toro. And then the director is, uh, Anna Lily Amirpour, um, or Amirpour. Um, but it stars Kate Micucci, who you've seen in like a bajillion things. Um, she has a very distinct face, uh, and Martin Starr, who you'll know from, uh, Silicon Valley and also Freaks and Geeks and a bunch of stuff like that. So anyway, um, but it's a very female driven, like horror short, um, or, you know, episode of television. Um, but it's basically... It's about this, you know, Kate Micucci's character is this kind of awkward, uh, you know, like a little bit weird outcast. Uh, she works at a bank. It's kind of it. It seems vaguely set in like the 80s, late 70s, early 80s. Um, and she works with all these like stereotypically, you know, gorgeous and primped women. Um, and she feels like an outcast. And so she ends up, you know like she watches these infomercials um, where they're repping this beauty product. Uh, and she, you know, and Dan Stevens uh, from Downton Abbey and the guest and uh, some of that stuff um, plays the, the guy on the infomercial in this way that is like so bone chillingly fucking creepy um, where he's talking directly to her being like, you need this. And so she, she buys this beauty product and then, um, you know, chaos sort of ensues uh, in a really interesting way. Um, and it's, it's very much like the, the ethos of the episode, I think is, is very clearly like written by a woman and it's very, you know, directed by a woman. And, you know, it, it ends up being a lot about, um, you know, what we value in ourselves and how women are told to, you know, um, determine their own value and everything. And, uh, and it's great and it is really creepy and it's unsettling, but it's also, I I mean, I just, I think it's a masterpiece. It's my favorite, my favorite episode of cabinet of curiosities. Um, it's very weird. Um, if you're recommending it to people that are not into weird stuff, like don't, don't do it, but I, I think it's great. Um, I also, I'm a sucker for a Karen Kusama movie. I love anything that she does. Um, I think Jennifer's body is a masterwork. Um, I think it was kind of billed as something else when it came out because of the time that it came out. But like, if you really look at Jennifer's body as a piece of work, it it is examining a lot of um, kind of feminist themes and um, and also like the way that, you know, female relationships are, um, are looked at from the outside world, um, and heteronormativity and everything else. And also like, it's fucking brutal. Like if you love horror, it's a brutal fucking movie. Um, so that one's really cool. Um, she, Karen Kusama also made, uh, the 2015 movie, the invitation. There's a newer movie called the invitation that's on Netflix. I don't know if it's the same, theme or I don't or, believe so okay yeah I think it's something else um but the 2015 movie The Invitation is genuinely like I mean you want to talk about tension it uh, so 
fucking it, it like that movie I don't want to tell you anything about it but like that movie pops off it's crazy uh it's so fucking good uh Karen Kusama is just like she's so fucking good at what she does so I love that one as well um highly highly recommend that one don't watch it if you're by yourself I think because yes. uh just I mean it's like it's it's scary in that like really realistic way where you're just like you're checking over your shoulder you're pulling the blinds down afterwards mm-hmm. like you're nervous you're real nervous um but definitely definitely recommend that one as well yeah let us know in the comments if there are uh any that I mean sure there are so many that we didn't mention, but any that you love. Yeah. No, absolutely. Absolutely. Um yeah, chicks and horror, thumbs up. Two thumbs up. Big fans. Big I'm fans. Funny. We're putting both of our thumbs up. <laughs> um Okay, anything else we wanted to talk about today? I don't think so. Okay. I think that's all from all from me. Yeah, look at that. Look at us keeping it nice and tight. Um, well, happy Halloween, everybody. Happy, happy Halloween. Samhain. Happy, you know, the veil is thinnest between the worlds today, uh, this world and the next. So um, don't, this is just a piece of unsolicited advice for me. If you don't know what you're doing and you don't have the proper training, please, for the love of God and for all of our safety, do not fuck with any Ouija boards. Yeah, any or someone day, will be- especially this day. Do not. Do not puncture the veil if you don't know what you're doing. Uh, or we'll be uh, discussing the horror movie written about you one day. Exactly. A hundred percent. And we don't want to do that. No, don't just don't don't fuck with that shit if you don't know what you're doing. I mean, fine. If you don't believe it, fine. That's that's your business. But I do. And so for my well-being, please, please don't. Yeah. Don't. You don't know what you're doing. You don't need to test the spirit world. No, there They're are a lot fine. of other ways you can have fun and be safe and yeah, not eat. cars cause anyone harm. Right. Or yourself. And not, yeah. And not not open a portal that you didn't intend to um, eat some candy, watch some movies, um, you know, I guess on a totally unrelated note, uh, happy 1989 TV release. Woo! We're, we're recording this uh, on the 26th. So it'll be out tomorrow. It'll be out tomorrow. Um, yes. By by October the 31st, when this episode drops, um, we will all be living in a world with Taylor's version of 1989. Yeah. Let us know your favorite and most alt importantly, track. Also in the comments. Yes. We'll be living in a world that we have slut. Taylor's version. I need a shirt that says slut Taylor's yeah. version. Slut. <laughs> so if anyone sees it anywhere is making it, let me know. I want yeah. it. Yeah, exactly. Because you know her merch team won't do it because they will absolutely fumble the bag because yes. they always do. So uh, I'll be I'll be I'll be on the hunt for that. Listen, I love Taylor Swift. Um I I have so many complaints to go directly to her merch team. I just I need it to be something else. Um yeah. But Etsy's got some great stuff, so I'm sure I'm sure someone's gonna make a slut exclamation point T-shirt. I can't wait. Well, happy happy, happy Halloween weekend! Happy we got a Halloween! Lot of exciting things. Yeah, um, and we will be back with you next month. I believe this should be available for everyone. This episode, and we'll be back next month on Niche Reads reading Demon Copperhead by Barbara King Solver. Correct. Um, which I should start reading 
soon. It's a big, it's a long one. So yeah, she thick. Yeah. Um, uh, prepare yourself. Brace yourself. Yeah, definitely. Um, and then in the interim, we will be here on the Niche Reacts feed talking about um, whatever nonsense we feel like. This is kind of a special episode, so it will be coming out pretty close to um, last week's episode, the 2023 Pop Culture Roundup, where we talk about everything that we forgot happened this year. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you, like us, are um, finding that your brain holds on to things about as well as a sieve, um, go give <laughs> that a listen and uh relive all of that with us um and then we'll be back here in another two weeks i think maybe talking about mike flanagan and the flanagan universe yeah um got some tv to watch yep yep but we're just we'll be here watching tv so uh come join us as always yeah happy to have you uh and don't eat your friends yeah love you cherish you respect your formal intellect We'll see you next month. Bye. Bye.